0: Hello, Mentors. Welcome to our podcast series, Mentorships in Education, brought to you by Just Education at JustEducationFirst.com. I am your host, Judy Epstein. I am very excited about the wide range of experts who have volunteered to give up their time and expertise. They will share their innovative ideas, their exciting perspectives, their rich resources, and their research with us. Please continue to delve into these topics on their websites and with your legal counsel, healthcare provider, and education professional. Our guests have information that will be relevant to mentors supporting struggling students, parents, teachers, administrators, legal support, and health professionals. We will address all levels of education with issues that affect academic performance. Our goal is to open discussions and introduce a variety of approaches to those searching for information in a free venue. So mentors, let me introduce our guests for today.
1: Thank you, mentors, for joining me again. I am still in hot pursuit of hidden gems, people who are doing great things to support our parents and teachers and the kids themselves, and today is no exception. My guest today needs to be given a shout-out, and I want to do it with you now. Abigail Gimple, all the way from Israel. I want to talk a little bit about her before we get started. Abigail was born one of eight children. She was the third child. She got her first teaching job in 1996, working for immigrant children in Queens, New York, And that same year, she ran a Sunday school for Jewish public children. She got her BA from Turo College and completed her graduate studies at Turo College Graduate School for Special Education in Manhattan, New York. She married in 98, and while teaching in in an all-boys Orthodox elementary school, she developed an intervention program for students struggling with ADHD, and I'm assuming this is the foundation of all that we're going to be talking about today. She and her husband ended up moving to Israel. She earned advanced degrees there and worked with children with dyslexia and cognitive issues associated with ADHD. In 2003, uh, she taught in three different schools and headed up an English department in one of the schools when they moved to Moscow, Russia, which was kind of interesting. I don't usually hear about people moving there. Upon her return to Israel, she immersed herself in studying and developing treatment options for ADHD for her own six children who struggled. She collaborated with her father-in-law, Dr. Amnon Gimple, a psychiatrist and neurologist, and I did a little bit of due diligence on him, and I find that he is quite well known as an athletic you found him. Right, I did. I found him in playing soccer. And so people might recognize the name. And yes, it is the man. He is quite well known around the world. They, In working with her father-in-law, she developed a parent training program. And she moved on to develop a teacher's training program. Abigail teaches Herzog College as well as lectures in Israel spirit, Israeli schools and to parents and groups all over Israel. She works in private practice, training parents to become coaches to their children and spouses to learn a new love language to communicate with respect. Recently published her first book, Hyper Healing. And while you can't see me, I do have the book. I read it. We're going to talk about it later. I'm hoping we'll have enough time. I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best books that I've had the privilege to be able to read and speak to you about. So I want to welcome Abigail. Thank you so much for being with me. It was so much work, I know, to put this together. And I'm always so grateful for my guests who are willing to put in the time and stick with me. So thank you. Very much.
2: Absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. As I have said many times,
1: I have struggled with ADHD and felt so relieved as an adult when I was finally diagnosed and given an understanding of the challenges that I had through school, which included academic challenges, social challenges, psychological trauma when I had to repeat a grade at school. And uh, really, just thought that there was something wrong with me. I had three boys, two of them with similar challenges, who have gone on to achieve great things, primarily because they had some of the support they needed. But even when they were growing up, it was just coming into fruition. At that point, it was a new, a new area that was being explored. So I want to be able to talk to Abigail as a as a resource who I wished I had had. 30, 40 years ago, and find out a little bit about how she became involved in actually doing something about this issue. I know she had children who had some challenges, but not everybody goes on to do what she's done and write a book. So would you talk to us a little bit
2: about that? Idea? Absolutely. So my my interest in ADHD actually way predates my kids. <sighs> I started teaching when I was 20. And uh, what I noticed was that the kids with the high energy, the kids who were quirkier, who had different ideas, who had stranger but yet more intriguing answers to questions, uh, were the ones that I was much more drawn to. And I loved talking to them at recess, and, and they followed me around, and we had great conversations, but I could not get these kids to learn. And that frustrated me a lot because I was, I was meant to be a fantastic teacher and they were getting in the way of my plans. And, uh, and so I, I remember sitting one night, uh, all night long and just, you know, meditating on it. And I came up with a plan of how to get these kids interested. And I realized I had to put them at the center. I had to make the classes relevant and interesting to them because these were not disordered children. These were kids who were instant gratification. They wanted everything interesting and relevant and connected to them and, and fast paced with a story. And uh, once I started doing that, I, I, I drew them in. I gained their trust. And I also realized they were missing a tremendous amount of skills. So I developed a skills building program slowly, methodically, and in a fun way with prizes, I started developing skills. Meanwhile, I'm working with these kids, I'm, I'm teaching in a Jewish school, all boys school, and I've got 27 adorable little third graders. And that was when I was uh, searching for my husband and this dapper, dapper guy walks in my door and he's as energetic as my students. And I'm like, "Woo, match made in heaven. <laughs> and as we know, ADHD is, has a genetic element to it, as you just mentioned with your children. So my husband did gracefully passed his energy and curiosity and uh, spunk onto our kids. And uh, so it went from teaching these amazing children to trying to help my own children, which is a completely different skill. And, uh, and that's how I got into it eventually.
1: That's great. And I want to make a correction. I just realized I've been mispronouncing your name. It's Avi Guile. So I would like to correct that. And let me ask you, um, when, when we spoke before, um, you said something about some of the kids when you, when you were working with them, you realized they didn't have aspirations. They had some social discomforts. Can, can you talk to that, speak to that a little bit? And, um, it was it, the addiction to screens. Was that something that so you picked up at
2: this time? Right. So not then. No, okay. this is pre-screens. pre-screens. I got I got my first computer in graduate school. So this is an and you know, a big desktop clunky thing. So my original students, we were not dealing with screen addiction at all. This is something that I'm seeing much more recently, where okay. I'm I have clients who will come in and I always begin with a thousand questions because I'm a detective. I need to find out what it is that's causing. I like that A detective. (laughs) All of our teachers
1: are detectives. (laughs) Right.
2: And I, and and that's very important for us to be detectives. We need to always be asking why is a child struggling instead of what diagnosis the child has. So I have recently in the last five years, clients a lot of teenagers coming in and I and I always ask what's your dream because we have to start with a dream in order to be able to bring a pro to build a program because the center of being able to succeed is desire and if if someone doesn't have a dream doesn't have desire there's no place to begin so I asked the question and I'll have people recently saying well I don't have a dream and I said well that's impossible I didn't know that that kind of thing exists we do find the dream, but in every single case, it's because of a screen addiction that the person has never had to face any sort of discomfort because whenever they don't know something or they're uncomfortable about anything, they, they go straight to their dream, their, their screens, and therefore drowning out any curiosity and any desire to reach for something bigger than themselves. No, you know, it was just disastrous.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, but I was just thinking, um. Often, uh, kids, when I was teaching, will say, um, I don't need to know math, um, I'm not going to use it when I grow up, or I don't need to know biology or science or whatever, because I'm not going to use it when I grow up. And we have a tendency to say, as an educator, okay, you're not going to use it, but if you want to pass the class, you need to know you know, you need to do it. Maybe our response should be more, well, what is it that you want to do? And find out how we can tie those in together a little more specifically for each child to show that right.
2: connection. Yeah, I never told a student you have to you have to do this in order to pass the class, do that right. on you. Right. It was there there were two different things. First of all, you're right. This is is, you know, this is not particularly relevant to you. So what's my job? My job is to figure out how to make it relevant. And that's what I did with my students. That was my program was to, before I even began a topic, say, how are you connected to this topic? And, uh, and also I would say, it's not about learning the subject. What skills are you learning when you, when you learn the subject? And I would go through the skills with my, with my students before we began, I'd write this, the thinking skills down on the board. And they would be clear on what they were going to learn here. It was a discipline of thought. It was uh, a building a, a, a more structured way of thinking. And that's what they'd be learning. So there was no wasted learning time just for a test. That's not respectful to our students.
1: Right. I like that. I like that. Um, and that's one of the um, important concepts that I came away with from the book. You you did talk about the struggle that we've had now with covid and kids who have an addiction to a screen are obviously spending an awful lot of time on the screen with the school being taught on the screen, doing homework on the screen. Um, can you address some of the daily concerns that parents might have with issues of structure and healthy habits? And um, how how can we work around that knowing that our kids have to be on the screen?
2: Yeah. So I, I feel like the education system has let down our children. There is no such thing as doing uh, being educational through a screen. That's impossible. Kids are, are less and less able to understand facial expression, understand normal communication due to this new crazy way of, uh, of educating. I actually, after, you know, having to run three zoom classes in my house. You know, I, I felt like I was the principal. It was really a nightmare. I was so attached to my own phone that as a not particularly addictive person, I was, I became completely addicted. I had to take my phone and put a block on it wow. because, uh, yeah, because I was just like, that's it. I'm going to have WhatsApp and we're done. And it's been like, finally I, I, in my brain settled down. And I think about these kids, they're on the phone round the clock. And they're supposed to be learning. So either we're going to let them learn on their own in a curious way, and they're going to find things that are interesting. I've got a son who's into mechanics. He spent a lot of time learning everything there is to know about every car and how to fix it. And he did that on his own. So there are values to learning things on screens. But when we force our kids onto screens and we call it education, we're, we're cheating them out in every direction. And we as parents really have to know that screens are have their benefits, but they're extremely poisonous, especially for kids who have instant gratification personality, which is most of the kids with ADHD symptoms. And uh, they're going to be drawn in way more than other children. So we have to put the brakes on the phones. And there are ways of doing it. I actually remen- recommend a couple of different programs in my book that we, we limit the amount of hours. We limit the amount, the, the type of things they can watch. You're not doing your child any favors if you're allowing the child to get to any website they possibly could want. Children get to pornography in 15 seconds. And that is like leaving the liquor closet open for them and welcoming them in to have an, to, to have an addiction. So we as parents, it's not a matter of trust because they create these programs in order to get us addicted. The screens are stronger than our children. The content on the screens are stronger than our children and ourselves. And we, as adults, have to rein ourselves in, be a good example to our children. But we have to put some brakes on those phones. Or else we land up with extremely passive kids with no dreams.
1: And what that's, a shame! saying. And that's what you mean when you're saying healthy habits. You're not talking necessarily about physically healthy habits. You're talking about um, using the screens in an appropriate way way using the technology in an appropriate way and for the parents to have some structure in that process. Um, one of the things you mentioned to me when we were talking, um, just to uh, remind you a little bit about that, is you said if parents want success for their kids more than the kids do, that's a problem. And that goes back to the dream issue that you're kind of alluded to, if the kids don't have a dream of their own, if it's just the parents saying you're going to be a lawyer or, or you know, um, I-, I want you to go to college or that could be an issue that becomes a-, a bone of contention, almost pushing the kids away from the process of learning, I would imagine.
2: Right. Well, we were talking about building healthy habits there. Right. And we were talking about the weight what's really missing for these healthy kids with ADHD symptoms is that they don't build habits because they want everything fast and interesting and now and it's very hard to build a habit that way because you have to repeat behaviors in order them in order for them to be permanently part of your behavior. So therefore if you know you're jumping from thing to thing, you're starting things and not completing them because the start is really fun, but getting through the little tiny, you know, dotting the i and crossing the t, you're not great at that, so you drop it. So we have to help these kids become more responsible. It's not that they can't do it; it's just that it's a weak muscle for them. So we create behavior uh, programs for them. Most behavior programs don't work because the parent wants the kid to succeed more than the kid wants to succeed. And so we're, we we want to get the kids up in the morning. So and we want them to succeed so badly that we physically remove them from their bed and stuff them into their clothing. And the kid has learned nothing because they have to do it from their own desire. They have to say, I want the prize. We start with the prize. I want the prize. And once I've gotten the prize, well, I want this good feeling of getting up in the morning and having a successful day. I want the prize to to exercise. And now I want that great feeling when I get a great sweat and I feel like I have more energy and more dopamine flowing through my head. So that's the process. We parents way over parent when we don't let our children develop a desire to succeed.
1: I guess that was the point I was making, and maybe I wasn't good at making the connection, but where we want the if the parent wants success more than the child does, because the parent can see down the road the benefits, but the child doesn't see down the road the benefits, then the parent ends up. You know, suing the child and pulling them through the process rather than taking the time to teach them healthy habits, as you say, developing habits. And you're saying all of that comes from a desire from the child to have a goal or an aspiration. The child has to understand how all of these fit in to attaining the goal that they have, not necessarily that the parent
2: has. Right. Exactly. Okay. And once we start from the child's desire, and we could also help plant desire by giving children experiences. For example, the desire to give is something that, that these kids tend to have naturally, but they're not exposed to it necessarily. But if you take a child to volunteer, uh, you take a child to help out at a, in a soup kitchen or anything, I took my kids to A bag pasta for poor people. You know, we actually bag the pasta, put the stickers on and it's free. And we spent the whole day doing it. And with, you know, it was a real, really, really fun activity, but they wanted to go back the next day. So I can direct them, but they have to grab it and want. And even if they just want the prize, even if they just want the slap on the back, good job. That's good enough for now. Let's run from there, but it got to start there.
1: So in order for children, whether it's the parents or the, or the um, teachers that are creating this desire or right, helping the child uh, develop this goal, um, what are some skills that that mentor needs? You, you talk about communication, no negatives and compliments and, uh, how to address one issue at a time and so forth so what do parents and teachers particularly parents need to know what are the the top no's or the top yeses in working with their child to help motivate them and not create this headbutt that often develops when we when we want when we think we're being supportive but we're not being supportive we're just creating more of a problem
2: Right. So I think the first thing we have to do, and I as a mom have done this and, and it's a continual process that I, that I do probably daily is we've got to clear the clutter out of our own brains. We have to stop being self uh, critical and stop, you know, we have so much baggage from our past and we worry about from our failures. Are our children going to fail the way I do? And also often when we have a parent who's very similar to a child, you know, they're they're seeing the child making the same mistakes and they go into a panic. So they've got to beat that child back, not physically beat, but beat that <laughs> child back into line so they don't make the same mistakes or the parent is feeling insecure themselves. And then they don't want the kid to go out there and embarrass them more. So we got to start with getting comfortable with ourselves. And knowing that that child is a tremendous gift and telling that child daily that that child's a tremendous gift, just as that child is. Got to start there. Then we could move on to actually building skills. Our instant gratification children are kids who need our strong response. They'll take it positively. They'll take it negatively. They just want us to pay attention to them. So if they could trigger us to yell, they will trigger us to yell. And then guess who's in charge? Little Johnny's in charge and little Johnny is not great at being in charge. A lot of power
1: giving to Johnny there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's way too much. Johnny. I actually <laughs> have a kid whose name is Jonathan. So it's, it's funny that that's always the name that comes up. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> and he's not in charge. Uh, but uh, we give him and, and, and that leaves a child hopeless because he doesn't know what to do being in charge. We have got to take charge. And the way we take charge is by completely switching the dialogue, going from this him triggering us and then us yelling and being negative and being critical, and then him getting that tremendous amount of feedback from us, but in a terrible way, to switching to a positive thing where we bring down completely our negative energy. We are we will get to a place where we also have to have proper negative discipline, like punishments. I hope we get to talk about that. But we will... (laughs) we bring down the negative energy, the yelling, the criticism, and we move into a hundred percent positive communication. We're picking out what the kids do that are positive. And uh, we are, this is this developed by, by a psychologist named Alan Kasdan. I'm a big fan and we're picking out the things that the child does positively. And we are saying it very dramatic, not dramatically in a silly way, but with a lot of enthusiasm. I always tell parents, think about how enthusiastic you are when you're angry at your kids. We yell, we scream, we get close. We use a lot of descriptive words. But then the kid does something nice and we're like, good job. Well, where'd the enthusiasm go? Of course, they're going to choose to be yelled at if that's all we've got to give. So we have to switch it. Let me stop
1: you there for a minute because I hadn't really thought about that. When a child does something wrong, whether it be in the classroom or at home, we take so much time giving them a whole menu of phrases and comments and opinions as to their their behavior being inappropriate and what were they thinking and they know better and blah, 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 blah. And yet kids come into class every day and behave themselves, and do their work, and we have nothing to say to them. Kids come home from school, go up to their room, and do their work, and we never pay much attention to it, because they're doing what they need to do, and they don't need me to intervene. And i right? never really thought of that before, but that is so on track.
2: It's true. Yeah, we're great at making lists. But we're only good at it when the kid messed up. My my daughter, who you just met, when she was in first grade, she says to me, she comes home from school one day and she says, you know, mom, when I was in kindergarten, everything I did, the teacher was just amazed by. And now I sit in my class and I write and no one says anything.
1: Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. Where's my compliment? Wow. That's true. Well, you know, there's the old expression, kids are going to get attention. Um, and if it's negative, I think you mentioned this before, negative attention is better than no attention. Right. And they will um, get attention one way or the other. So that's we're true. In ch-
2: we can be in charge of that. We let them be in charge. But it's not appropriate. Children need to have a parent, a teacher that's in charge. So we can't give up that rope. So the communication
1: that you that you speak of when you say no negatives, does that mean you can't be critical about what they're doing? That you only compliment the positive and you don't address the inappropriate behavior?
2: Well, think about it this way. Let's say you're in the supermarket and you inadvertently smack your cart into somebody and they give you a long tirade. Of how awful and terrible you are. How much have you learned from that experience? Keep away from that woman when I see her in the supermarket next time. Certainly (laughs) have not learned how to navigate your cart better. Right. Right. So that's the same thing with kids. We use criticism as though that's a tool to help children behave better, but it just isn't. We don't do well with criticism. We either wither away and become little shrunken insecure people, or we fight back with all we've got. But what we never do is get introspective and think, wow, what could I have done better in this experience? When what we do is, is so the criticism is really just I, I can't find an appropriate place for the criticism. I wish I can say I never <laughs> criticize. But when I'm criticizing, I know it's only because I need to let off steam. And it's not going to be good for anyone in the room right now.
1: My so three it's... boys were here, <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> they would tell you stories. Oh my gosh, the things I used to say.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, we're all guilty of it. And, and parenting is so <laughs> messy. And no we won't get the right. When the kids
1: were doing something that was. Bugging me, and I, I tried to get them to stop. I would tell them that there was a meat hook in one of the closets, and if they didn't knock it off, they were going to get hung up on the meat hook, and they would spend more time running around the house trying to find out where that meat hook was. And I, they would say to me, "Where is it?" And I say, "You don't need to know. I know where it is. If I need it, I know
2: where it is." <laughs> oh, Listen, this is what gives me strength. We all mess <laughs> up. I always say, you know, we just uh, we were recently reading the Joseph story. And you know, in in the Bible, and I always say to my husband, "Listen, none of our kids have sold any other kids, and I feel like we're doing well."
1: And all my kids grow up and have families and have advanced degrees, and they're all wonderful. And I guess, in spite of me, I guess, (laughs) because they managed to survive in spite of me.
2: I doubt that. You also got a wonderful daughter-in-law. I
1: do. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you guys. And she she married well. (laughs) she's got a great husband who loves her to pieces they make a good couple Um, so let me ask you this Um, I have an issue with this comparison between um, punishment and consequences and I want you to address that a little bit because I am more of the school that And you can, you can correct me from your perspective. I think of as a punishment as something unrelated to the uh, behavior. And that, um, for example, if a a student is going to inappropriate sites, um, I wouldn't be inclined to say, all right, I'm taking your car keys. But I might say, um, I'm going to, because I can't trust you to make appropriate choices on the computer, I'm going to have to put a lock on certain things. That's, a, from my perspective, a natural consequence. Or I might say, I, I'm going to take your car keys because you're not, don't seem to be making appropriate choices and I can't let you drive the car if you're not making, if I can't trust you. In that, in in this situation, I can't trust you. In that situation, I was taught that the that the um, behavior after the inappropriate action somehow needed to be connected to the inappropriate action. Uh, are you saying that or not saying that when you talk about punishment?
2: No, I'm not saying that at all. I okay. have a completely other take on punishment. Okay, so that's what I want to understand. And I actually don't even like the word consequences. Oh, okay. I'm I'm very opinionated on this one. That's fine. I want to learn. Probably on a lot of things. My husband would probably say I'm opinionated on all things. No. But uh, the.
1: (laughs) The let me just interject that my husband and I ride motorcycles. And when you ride motorcycles and you belong with a group, you get a road name because you you don't use your... It's not, you don't use your private name. It's it's more of a public um, persona that you develop. And wow. my husband gave me a road name, which is on my jacket, which is relentless.
2: I love that.
1: Now you can know that comes from not being not. It is not from getting along with people well. <laughs> it is voicing my opinion when I think I'm right. I that have, that's fantastic. Why. <laughs> we need strong women in this world. So I want to understand uh, your where you're coming from this because it is so different than what I have been
2: um, taught. Right. So I'll, I'll start with a very short story about uh, one of my children who really taught me this. My kids have taught me so much. Don't think. So he, he came. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he came in the house one day quite hysterical because. He, he said to me, my friend's mother doesn't love her, my friend. Ooh. And I, I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? I actually, I, <laughs> I know them. I'm pretty sure she does. <laughs> but what's she talking about? And he says, you know, that my friend was mouthing off and cursing at his brothers and being aggressive. And, and his mother just watched him do it. And she didn't do anything about it. She didn't respond. So when we talk about a punishment, we're talking about a message of love because children need boundaries. And when we let them just, you know, ooze out all over the place and behave as, as, as however they'd like, they don't have that, those hugging, loving boundaries. And therefore, again, they're really all alone. They have to figure out what the boundaries are for themselves, but it's even worse than that. The worst part about it is that they know that we don't expect them to do better than they're doing. We expect them to be that kid who's cursing and wow. husband, their yeah. brothers. Right. And that's just the most awful message to our children. Low expectations is is as bad as being mm-hmm. verbally abusive to our children. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So when we talk about consequences, consequences, it's kind of a way of not taking responsibility for what you're doing. Parents are so, I'm going to explain that. Parents are so uncomfortable. I see her face there. <gasps> Parents are so uncomfortable with punishing. We're kind of like, who am I to intervene? Well, you're the parent. That's who you are. Hmm. How do I know if I have the right? Well, you better know if you have the right direction. You better have thought this through because you went to the trouble of being pregnant for 9 months and and bringing this kid into the world. So that's something you need to think about. What are the rules in our house? Why How do I want to help my child to grow up to be a good person and to have solid values, whatever those values are, according to your culture. But you need to have thought that through and think about what the rules are in your home. And if you're calling it consequences or even worse, natural consequences, then you're (laughs) saying, listen, this is just, this is just something that happened. Oh, well, it just happened to you. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. saying. That's I know not not what, what you're I'm saying. saying. If a child is
1: beating on his brother, from my perspective, it would be if you can't behave appropriately in the room with the rest of us, then you'll have to stay in the room by yourself. Right. So I would be to an outcome. Oh,
2: okay. So that's the next, it's not, so, but natural consequences is the parent's way of saying, listen, this is just what happens when you misbehave. It doesn't oh, no, just happen. No, it's no, a parent's decision to, to intervene and say, I think you can do better. Knock it off. This is no good. So that's why I don't like consequences or natural consequences. Now you're talking about the behavior matching the crime. I'll tell you what the problem is. We're not creative and quick thinking enough. That's the only problem. If we spend our time trying to figure out what behavior matches the crime. Now your kid bites your other kid. What do you do now? Do you bite the kid? Do you remove the teeth? Where do you go with that? Uh, If if you if you can't
1: play with your brother and and um, and not bite him, then you're going to have to spend some time with me learning how we can respond to your brother when you're upset. Let's practice some ways of doing that.
2: I guess. Right. So we over what happened. The the point of a punishment is to stop a child in their tracks. You've broken a rule in our home or in our classroom. Huh? I need to stop you from doing that. And I need to turn you in a positive direction because you've, you've made a choice to do something negative. You can make a choice to do something positive. So I need right. to stop you and help you do something positive now. A child is not open and available for a lecture or a lesson learned when they're being punished, when they're being stopped they feel criticized, they feel belittled, perhaps, maybe they don't, I hope they don't. But a child is definitely not in a place where he can sit down and say, okay, mom, what's a better way for me to deal with my brother. Now, if you are spending the time trying to think of an appropriate punishment for the crime, you're not going to respond appropriately, you're not going to respond quickly enough, and you're going to try to go toward creativity. And there's no room for creativity here, because you need to think quickly. When you're drawing a picture be creative. When you need to give your child a message now, you need to have a list of punishments available. And to me, it's more important to get the child to do something positive. Now, let's say he is, he's, uh, you know, made a mess. He's hurt his brother. Obviously we need to protect the victim.
1: Yeah. Talk about what you would do if a child yeah, bit his brother. So, what would you say? So,
2: we need to protect the victim. We need to okay. get the child away. I try very hard not to do it in a physical way, but if his teeth have been sunk into <laughs> his brother's leg, so we need to. we need to remove him from that. Right, right. But then I have two choices. One choice would be to get the child to do community service, meaning you have caused. This is the way I like to describe. You've caused darkness in our home, our bright home. You've, you've, you've kind of brought some darkness into our home by making your brother sad, by breaking the rule. So now you have the opportunity to do something positive. I call it the cookie punishment because if you, if you have, let's say reading about that. that? So you have said something nasty to your neighbor and then you feel bad about your neighbor's a kind person and she forgives you, but but you really want to apologize appropriately so you say you're sorry but then you want to do something first so you make her some cookies and you bring them over who are the cookies really for they're 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 for you right the neighbor it's nice to the neighbor but it makes you feel better when you make the cookies so i'd like i give my child an opportunity to stop what he's doing turn change direction and bake cookies for our home not literally he can That could be one option, but I would have him straighten a shelf, clean something up and all with the message of now you're bringing more light into the home. Uh, It's an opportunity to do something better. Now, uh, many times a kid will be like, no way, I'm not doing that. And at that point, no problem. I'm never going to go head to head with my child because I have to be the adult. So I'm never going to fight with a child about the punishment or negotiate it. I'm going to always give a punishment that I'm comfortable with because once we delivered a punishment, we have to stick with it so that our children trust us. So it's got to be small enough that I can live with it, but it's got to be something that I could deliver quickly. So I'll either take away from the child an item or a privilege. Let's say he gets to watch a half an hour of, uh, you know, TV after he's done with his homework. I might take that down to 20 minutes today. Or, uh, you know, he gets some kind of treat, I might cut that in half, or he misses it, or I delay it. Something that he has no control over. I prefer, obviously, that he do something in the home, because then I could compliment him and say, good job. And then he's been re-invited right. back into our community, and uh, and it's over.
1: I like your idea about a punishment treasure chest before I get into another topic um you you just said i might do this i might do that it's difficult for parents to think on the fly about what might be uh uh, an appropriate punishment a way for the to be able to compliment the child afterwards what to do if they won't do it so talk a little bit about this i like that it's i think it's an interesting concept of punishment it's it's almost an oxymoron punishment right. treasure chest that's what i'm thinking punishment tre- punishment treasure chest talk to me about that a little so,
2: bit so let me give you a quick example because okay. let, let's say let's say someone decides to to go on a diet which is never a good idea you should have a healthy lifestyle but let's say they're going on a diet. And, uh, so in the morning, they, they cut themselves up some fruit and then they come home from work with all the groceries and all the kids sweating. It's a hot day and they're stressed and there's nothing to eat in the house except for cake. So what are the chances this dieting person? is not going to eat the cake. I would I would put it very, very close to zero because there's no more apples in the house. So they're going to go with the cake because they're at very, very high stress and we need to have a response right away. Let's say that same person thought about the fact that probably they're going to be stressed when they come home, tired from work with the kids with the groceries and it's hot outside and they cut themselves up a beautiful quinoa salad in the morning and stuck it in the refrigerator. Now, what are the chances that that person's going to eat the cake when they get home? Well, we've lowered those chances because now that person has a way out. So when we know that we're walking into a stressful situation and every single time we have to punish our kids, it's stressful because the reason we feel stressed is because of the behavior that they need a punishment for. So we must plan ahead. It's not a surprise for us. Oh, my gosh, I need to punish my child. He's misbehaving. We should know by now that the child probably was, will misbehave at some point, and therefore we as parents have to cut up that salad for ourselves and have it prepared. So a punishment treasure chest is a way for us, when we're stressed, to stay calm and be able to be level-headed enough to not explode at our children, to not raise our voices, and to give the most respectful punishment possible. It protects our relationship with our children. It protects us from becoming absolute monsters and it protects the child because whatever the child did is not bad enough for me to have to explode on her or him.
0: Do you share
1: the contents of the punishment uh, treasure chest with your children so that they're aware of what, what the, uh, I'm going to use the word consequences loosely, um, what the consequences would be from your perspective, what you might have to choose from if certain be- if behaviors become problematic. Do you share it with them or is it private?
2: The you No, know, I share everything with my kids. Whatever okay. program I'm working with, I share with them. My daughter came home from school one day and there was something very specific she was supposed to do and she didn't do it. And she looks at me and she says, I'm going to fold some laundry. <laughs>
1: Okay, okay. It's kind of, in a way, um, I work with some kids who have some anger management issues, and I help them create a calming box. And so what they do is they put in a box all many of the things that help them to, when they're really stressed, to calm down. It might be a toy that they like, it might be a book that they like reading quotes from, Um, it might be a ball they like to squeeze it might just be some suggestions on a page like do yoga or um, so they can go to the calming box and they can choose something that they want. Um, what you're kind of talking about is um, things that kids have in the back of their mind already where they can almost choose from, for themselves what their punishment will be from a certain behavior and that's okay with you if they choose one of the things rather than you're delegating it
2: uh usually i delegate sometimes it's a conversation but what what the reason i like this story about my daughter is because she knew she messed up and it's not pleasant to mess up but right. she also knew that she had a way out and the folding of the laundry became almost like a, a privilege to her that she was able to do something think about a calm herself down And it's exactly the way you're talking that the exactly like that, that calming box is it's okay. We all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. And now you get to, to calm yourself down and make a better decision, slow down your mind and choose. And so, yeah, sometimes it'll be, if a kid's really gotten like way out of control, then I'll choose something very physical. Like take this a big giant pile of books and bring it upstairs to the third floor. And you know, that'll get some energy out or wash a window uh, which I usually do a terrible job at. And I have to rewash it, but it doesn't matter. It's, the point is to that, to get out that energy and to have contributed and to get that compliment at the end. But yeah, I'll, I'll share it with them. But I, I like to choose. I like to choose because again, I, I think is I'm very old school in this way. I think that the parent does have to be the authority, but the parents also have to play games with their kids and, and talk with their kids and and have fun jokes with them. There's, there's that social aspect as well. But when push comes to shove, it's not a democracy.
1: You know, that's funny. I say that to all the kids. Um, when my kids were growing up and my students, I used to tell them, that this is not a democracy. It is a dictatorship. It is a benevolent, a benevolent dictatorship. But it is a dictatorship.
2: Until you tick me off. <laughs> Then have
1: than <laughs> the meatball, <laughs> right So I want to get to what I really want to talk about. This has all been leading up to the book that you wrote that I bought. Uh, I read many people's books. Uh, they send them to me sometimes I, I um, read um, portions of them online. Uh, your book Hyperhealing, the Empowered Parents Complete Guide to Raising a Healthy Child with ADHD Symptoms. And it's by Abigail. Um, Abigail, um, You have another book coming out, which I hope we'll be able to have you come back and talk about. But this book has so many things in it that I just loved. And I just want to say, it is organized in a very structured manner where if there's something specific you want to look up, you can look in the, in the uh, context and find that specific thing. But if you want to start at the beginning and go through it, you can read through many different topics and, uh, and get a good understanding of how Abigail feels you should be working with your child and developing skills and, um, one of the things that I, I love about the book is that you address a particular issue in the book, in the chapter. And then at the end of the chapter, you give what you call an action plan. So a very specific plan that parents can follow or teachers can follow in addressing perhaps a behavior issue, we'll say, um, or developing a certain skill. You also talk about parents the parents habit loop which i think is great because as parents we get caught up in this in this treadmill of going through the same unproductive process that isn't helpful for the child or for the parent and we don't know how to get off the treadmill and something you alluded to you say you said um i have my child carry a bunch of books up the stairs um you also do a you address the, the science and the research around how exercise is so helpful and helping to calm and focus a child who has some of those issues. And I just want to say here, one of my grandchildren has some focus issues and the support staff that are working with him have found that they're able to get his attention for, you know, five or 10 minutes or whatever it is. And then they let him go into the gym. And they let him run around and they let him go on the equipment for five or 10 minutes. And then he can come back and do more work. It was interesting in your book that this was research based. One more thing. And then I'm going to be quiet and let you talk. I love your bibliography. It is a wealth of information in and of itself. So many of the names I did recognize, but so many I did not recognize. I recognized Ross Green. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world and I did have the privilege of taking some classes with him. So I respect the kind the, if he's a resource that you're using, then I know that you are, you have a high bar for the resources that you are using. And anybody looking to explore certain areas, this, without even reading the book, they can go into the bibliography and get some direction from this. So that all said, let me ask you a couple of track questions. First of all, are there any specific ideas that you would like to bring out to us from your book that you could pinpoint that people could go back to the book and read about some more if they wanted to?
2: So my most important message, which I I think I drill into parents over and over throughout the book, is that your child is healthy and your child is struggling. And our, and your job as a parent is to calm down, not allow your child to be pathologized, and go on a journey of curiosity and respect so that you can figure out what is causing your child stress. ADHD is a very real list of symptoms, as you know as someone who grew up with ADHD symptoms and have raised children with, with those symptoms. And uh, interestingly, I actually grew up with a a good number of ADHD symptoms myself, but in my case uh, it was very much environmental. I, you know, my, my home, my, my parents had gotten divorced. I have a lot of siblings and the lack of structure created this ADHD stuff. But when I decided, so I would have been diagnosed and put on Ritalin as a little kid without a question. But when I look back at you, look at the book, the organization structure, that's that's me. Uh, that's, that's my specialty. I can organize things well and carry through on them. And my husband has his specialty. And therefore... That's why we work together because he's got the spunk and the spirit and the ideas and Mm -hmm. the energy. And then I get it organized and then we could go out on amazing good trips with the kids and everyone anyway, everyone benefits. But every person has their role here and we don't grow up in a vacuum. We work in teams. We work in groups. And there's this strange Western notion of having to be some kind of superhero. Of uh, being strong and beautiful and thin and smart and uh, all those things like this self-contained superhuman, and nobody is a self-contained superhuman. <laughs> your child comes with the gifts that your child comes with, and comes with this with the challenges. And challenges are opportunities. I tell my children all the time, "You're either succeeding or you're learning," and we have to tell ourselves that when. Think. Look back in your own lives. Look at back at your success. What has pushed you to your greatest successes? And I would say the most challenging times or was what pushed us there. So we're not meant to be bubble wrapping our children and keeping them away from challenges. We're meant to teach them how to embrace their challenges. That's.
1: I want not- to interrupt you because I want to reinforce what you just said. We are either learn, uh, We are either succeeding or we are learning. It's not, we are succeeding or we are failing and we have to change that paradigm. It's succeeding
2: or learning, right? It's, a, it's an ongoing process learning. And very often we, we learn much more from, from what we, what is perceived as our failures.
1: Exactly.
2: And, uh, and that's what we have to look at our kids. And I, you know, I, I have one child who is really struggling with dyslexia and, uh, and I would take him once a week to a special program an hour away. That was just a day I couldn't work, but we spent the day together. It was very nice. And he gets, he gets out of the car one day when I drop him off at school and he says, thanks mom. You know, this is really hard for me, but I know that I'm going to be much stronger because I know how to fight through challenges. Oh my gosh. How old <laughs> is he? Cute. He's, he's 16 now, but oh, wow. he, he is, he's actually the same kid who said this thing about his friend's mother, not like So he happens Such to be wisdom and ast- <laughs> he's an astute child. Yes. Uh, so that's the thing we have to calm ourselves down. This is a healthy child. Every child comes with challenges. Let us go through the journey and figure out what's causing the challenges. Is it a sleep disorder? Is it a screen addiction? Is it a physiological problem, which we would deal with with diet? Is it uh, abuse, neglect, or some kind of trauma? Kids in war areas, kids after a year and a half of being locked in their houses with COVID. I have a couple of new clients who who did not have any ADHD symptoms pre-COVID, and suddenly their parents like, oh my God, what happened to our child? So we have to look at, these are just an example, a couple of an examples of what we're looking at to figure out why my child's struggling. And with that, with that curiosity, with that faith that the child is as he's supposed to be, and that it's our job to take this gem and polish it and lead it to where where the, 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 she or she needs to go without changing the personality that's where we that's what we want to do with each of them nope. in your book you uh, one of your in chapter 7
1: you talk about behind every challenging behavior lies an even stronger emotion and you go through the whole chapter talking about finding solutions and how parents can um, label or or uh, recognize Problems, but at the very end, your action plan uh, is based on Ross Green's collaborative problem solving. And I'm a little bit more familiar with this, so that's why I'm bringing it up. And you talk about how you need to make a list of the problems that you want to tackle, but you choose one at a time. We can't expect our children to change everything at once. We need to address one thing. At a time and we invite our children into a discussion we don't demand we don't we don't coerce we don't belittle we invite them we respect them and we we invite them in and we discuss with them in a calm way what it is that we want to do and ask them if they'll work with us to address that issue and i i love the way you presented it in there your action plan is so precise. That someone could copy it, hang it up on the wall, and and use it not just for this, but for many conflicts that a parent has with the child over a period of time, addressing them one at a time. And this is how we make progress, by making one change at a time. This is how children learn.
2: And, And if we were kind enough to work with ourselves that way we would also, we would also make more progress. We say, okay, I want to get fit. So I'm going to go to the gym every single day. No, you won't stop it. Do a 10 minute routine twice a week, and then build from there. And then you'll get there. Journey and process is much more important than the end goal. And, uh, and yes, if we can get people to do, and often my, my clients, I have a good number of teenage clients right now, and they'll be like, could we work on the morning and the evening together? And I said, nope, absolutely not. We are only working on the evening. We're going to enhance the evening, We discuss the evening, we're going to get the evening great, and then we'll add that to it. But the minute you want to tackle too much, everything collapses.
1: That's interesting. They feel it's working, so they want more and more and more.
2: Yeah, there's, they, we get, they get almost giddy on their success. <laughs> but that's a good it, thing. It's fantastic. Because <laughs> it, it, I, I would imagine you
1: feel proud and p- pleasure in their, um, in their gaining of self-confidence and their desire to take on more.
2: Oh, there's nothing like it. Yeah. But what we do is we, we, we drill down more into the project they're working on. We'll, we'll add more to the evening and, and make that really dynamic. Let's say they were going, you know, brushing teeth, getting into bed in the evening. Then we'll, we'll add on, you know, r- journaling a little bit, writing about your day a little bit. So you have a nicer night's sleep and we'll, we'll keep, uh, you know, investing in that until we've gotten a solid full month of just that. So it becomes a habit. And then we go on right. to other things. That's great. I. I love talking to you. I could sit and listen to you
1: forever. I have so many more questions and we haven't completed all of them. Uh, we do have, we're do we going to have a link for the Hyper Healing uh, book by uh, Abigail and you can see where you can purchase it. As soon as she does her second book and gets it out there, we're going to invite her back to talk about that as well. Please check out her book. If you are looking for some direction If you have some questions, check out the links. I know that Abigail would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with her on LinkedIn. Um, I think she has a website that we're going to have on the podcast as well. I want to thank you all for coming. Be safe, stay connected, and please get in touch with me and let me know what you think about what we're doing because it helps me to plan ahead if there's any topics that you feel we haven't covered. And you need to have some uh, resources. I will help you find them. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful holiday. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, mentors, for being with us today. If you found this podcast of value, please visit JustEducationFirst.com to subscribe to our blog and Mentorship and Education podcast so that you may continue the exploration with us. Our goal is to provide a free treasury of information for our listeners so they can become acquainted with the amazing resources that we have available to us. We want to thank all of our guests for giving their time and sharing their wealth of information with us. Please also visit their websites and explore more of their resources to further your pursuit of the topic. Hope to hear from you at JustEducationFirst.com. Have a good week and thank you.